The following presentation is part of the six-week Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation class offered at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Well, let's take some time and do a short meditation, and then we'll do a longer period of meditation later in the evening, but just to help settle in. Don't worry too much about your posture right now. Just sit in a comfortable and upright way. Have a kind attitude toward the experience of the body sitting. A little bit like you're greeting an old friend, a dear friend. Oh yes, the body's like this. Not afraid of the sensations in the body. Let's do a simple body scan. So we begin by simply feeling any sensations in the head. Start at the top of the head. So you might even feel the weight of the hair. And again, this kindly attitude as the attention settles in and simply feels the top of the head and then down both ears, both sides of the head, back of the head. Feel the air touching the forehead, any sensations in the temples, feeling both eyes, See if you can feel the eyelids touching the eyes, any movement in the eyes, feeling the air touching the skin of the face. And feeling the movement of the breath going in and out of the nostrils or in and out of the mouth. Feel the muscles of the jaw Feeling the gums and teeth and the tongue and the lips. See if it's possible to be feeling all the different sensations in the face and head together, but at the same time not needing to control or fix. Just letting the sensations of the head and face be. Simple presence with the sensations in the neck. It's as if we're learning to listen to what's really ordinary, what we normally don't notice. Feeling the neck, the sides, the back of the neck, the throat. And not afraid to feel unpleasant sensations. So feeling the whole range from pleasant, neutral, to the unpleasant sensations. In the throat, in the neck, and then down to the tops of the shoulders and both shoulder joints. Simply 
opening or receiving the sensations that are here, the tops of the shoulders and shoulder joints. So there's a steady, non-judging interest directing the attention here and down both arms. So you might even feel the sleeves of your blouse or shirt touching the skin. You might feel the relative warmth of the skin in the underarms or feel the sensations of the bend of the elbows the forearms, the wrists. Notice any touch points along the arms and in in the hands, the back of the hands and palms, feeling each finger. So in a simple way, we're learning to be present Learning to be intimate with both arms, both hands, as they are. So simple and at the same time quite liberating to be present in this way. So now move down the trunk. So begin at the base of the throat and the back of the neck and move into the top of the torso. And simply feel what you feel here a kind and patient attention to the sensations here, down into the chest and upper back, back of the shoulders, back of the of the shoulder blades, upper spine, and the breastbone and the breasts and the structure of the rib cage, things just as they are here. Including any sensations, any sense of the lungs and the beating heart. And moving down little by little to the lower ribs, the diaphragm, the solar plexus, the kidneys. Little by little moving down through the torso, down into the abdomen and the lower back. And just a sense of all of these internal organs here in the abdomen and the lower spine, the back of the hips, the structure of the pelvis, the groin, the floor of the pelvis, taking it all in, the lower half of the torso, and feeling the entire trunk together now for a few moments. This simple act of being present, which means allowing things to be. And from the base of the pelvis, feel both thighs, the touch points, both knees, shins and calves, ankles, heels, 
sides and tops of the feet, bottoms of the feet and toes. We're taking our time and feeling both legs, both feet. There's a real sense of integrity, this willingness to include the entire body. So including all the body now from the top to the bottom, front and back, inside, outside. Unconditional acceptance. Non-fear, knowing the body without fear, without any agenda, except to be close, to be intimate. And notice how this simple presence, simple mindful awareness of the body has this quality of kindness, acceptance, patience and forgiveness, all these wholesome qualities are right here in the simple act of being present with the body, uncontrived. It's possible to learn everything that needs to be learned to be a good human being simply by learning how to be aware, to be fully present with the body. So let's do a simple experiment for the last two minutes. Let's see if we can sustain this simple loving presence with the body. And if that attention wavers, be willing to begin again. So we'll start now for two minutes.
those of you who've been around, you might have recognized that some of us do this physical gesture at the end or at the beginning of a sit. It's called Anjali. It's used not just in the Buddhist tradition. So just use it if you feel comfortable. It, it's really a physical gesture that supports the feeling of gratitude. Like we're grateful that we have the time or we're grateful that we have the practice, this inclination in our mind to quiet down or inclination in our mind to turn the attention of the mind back in toward itself. Because in a, you know, in the great scheme of things, in human existence, most human beings, like most other animals, are pretty much consumed with basic survival, you know, just getting through the day, just surviving. So the fact that we have enough wherewithal, enough interest, and enough safety in our lives to actually be reflective in this way, that's pretty amazing. We're not completely consumed by basic survival needs. So we can be grateful that we can be reflective about how to be a wiser, kinder, more awake human being. So don't feel like you have to. It's There's nothing requisite about bringing your hands together. But you might like that gesture. And uh, you might notice people doing it here. So I, that's why I just mentioned it. So keep in mind, too, this simple body scan practice. This could be your main meditation technique. It's a fine meditation technique. So that's not normally how I'll be doing the longer meditations on th- on Tuesday nights. But if you really like that, moving the awareness through the body, and of course the longer you sit, you can do many cycles through the body, up and down. And the idea with body scan meditations is you treat each part of the body equally. You don't have favorites. You know, so it's like you're you're opening to this place in the body and then you're opening to the next place and the next place. And initially you might need to take some time with each place because the mind's a little less clear, a little bit more distracted. But as things settle down, you might be able to move the awareness more smoothly right through the body, not missing anything all the way down. You can just keep coming from the top down or you can go sweep up and down. So consider that as another possibility. So I want to share a few things, then we'll stretch our legs, and then we'll have a longer set. So I mentioned last week that I wanted to talk a little bit about sitting posture. And, uh, you know, it's really easy to be obsessive about sitting posture, always thinking about how to do it right. You can spend years thinking about your meditation posture and avoiding actually meditating. So... Don't be obsessive about it. Just do the best you can. Sitting in a chair is fine. And your meditation period is not the time to develop more flexibility in your posture. If you want, if you have the time in your life and interest and you want to develop flexibility, it's probably a good thing for most of us to be doing yoga or other sort of mindful stretching practices, strengthening practices that allow us to sit on the floor. But if we have a lifetime of not sitting on the floor and we're in our 50s or 60s or 70s and we have injuries, well, you have to be realistic about what might happen. So don't be thinking, oh, I can't really be a meditator if I'm sitting in a chair. Hopefully you don't have that idea and you see 
you know, in most of our programs, at least half of the people are in chairs. It's just how it is. So if you're sitting in a chair, generally, in a perfect world, you would have been sitting in a chair enough that you've developed some muscles so that you don't need the back of the chair too much. And even some people elevate the chair, the back legs of the chair, so if you're facing my direction, the chair would, the seat of the chair would be tilted a little bit. Now you can do this with a blanket or a cushion, um, or just sit in the front half of the chair. But initially you might not have those muscles and you might need the support, lumbar support especially. So you could put a pillow so that the upper back isn't really supported, but the lower back is getting a lot of support in the chair. So those are just some ways to begin to experiment. And, you know, generally at home, don't use your lazy boy chair. Find, uh, you know, more of a office chair that supports the uprightness of the spine because otherwise it will be very easy for you to get sleepy. If you're too comfortable, generally the mind will get sleepy. And it may be a pleasant experience sitting, but you won't learn too much when your mind is dull. So we need that balance of alertness and tranquility or calmness. The other thing is if you're a short person, you might want to put a blanket on the floor so your knees can be at a right angle. If you're a tall person, you might want to elevate the seat of the chair by putting a blanket or a cushion on the seat of the chair so you're sitting up a little higher. And the idea, right angle, usually don't cross your feet or ankles, just have your feet flat, feet, knees rather at a right angle, and then your hands, just like with the sitting on the floor posture, any Symmetrical position for your hands is fine. Sitting on your thighs, sitting on your lap, one palm on the other. If your knee, legs are crossed, sitting on your knees can be fine. Now, if you're sitting on the floor, um, recently I've had a hip injury, so I've not sitting cross like that much anymore. But anyway, I use a bench right now. Now, you can use a bench. We have a number here. Or we have the cushion there. Or you can take one of these cushions and put it on the side. This one is a little stiffer than most. And then just sit on that. And that can uh, suffice for the kneeling posture. And the nice thing about the kneeling posture is you don't need a lot of flexibility in your hips to be on the floor. But if you have problems with your knees, it may not be that comfortable. But you can have your knees wide apart or you can have them close together. And it's really nice because, remember, as you get more relaxed, the uprightness of your spine really supports alertness. One of the real problems with more intermediate, intermediate uh, meditators is they get dull. Their mind gets dull or sleepy. And I think I mentioned this last week. You know, you can have this sort of nod going on that the mind is imploding. It's like really calm and peaceful. But as soon as it doesn't have any wholesome activity like paying attention to the way it is, the tranquility just leads to that collapse into unconsciousness or into a trance-like state. And again, it may be very peaceful, it may even be healthy to get a rest, but you're not going to learn anything about the mind. So we all know we can take a nap, but when we're sitting, that's not the time, right? Because it's a pretty rare opportunity that we got ourselves to our meditation cushion. Now, those of you who want to sit cross-legged, some of the same principles apply. Like if you sit on the front half or front third of your cushion, then that's going to tilt your pelvis forward. 
And that will make it easier for your knees to get a little closer to the ground. So the first, for some people, the easiest posture is, I think sometimes it's called the Burmese posture, the easy posture. You just have one foot in front of the other like this. And then again, your hands in your lap or on your knees. So that's one possibility. Another one that's relatively easy is the ankles are basically under the knees or close to being under the knees. And then because the knees are going to be elevated a little, you might need to support them. Because, you know, as you might imagine, the broader the base of support, the more stable the cross-legged position is. So if your knees are pretty high up, basically you have the two little sits bones making contact and your feet. That's not that stable. So you're using a lot of muscular effort just to maintain the stability of the posture. So think about propping up your knees or doing that and also elevating your pelvis. The stiffer your hips the higher the pelvis, generally speaking. So you're sitting on the front half, experiment with height of that, and experiment with how you're crossing your legs. Then the other classic way, so this would be called like the quarter lotus, where you have the top of your foot on your calf, and then the half lotus is the top of the foot on the thigh, and the full lotus, which I won't do, is you put your other foot, top of the foot, on your thigh here. And the nice thing about all the lotuses poses is, is that there's a real sense of being tied in. And if you have enough hip flexibility, it's not really about your knee flexibility. Knees don't bend this way, right? So it's the turning in the hips that allow your knees to get close to the floor. And then you got this big triangle of support. So the posture, the spine rather, sort of sits right in that base and can be self-supporting. And then the head rests on top of the spine and the nose in line with the belly button and ears over the shoulders. And that's true for any of the postures. Now, the spine isn't straight. It has its natural curves, and that's what gives it strength and stability. So again, you hear this, and then it's very easy to start thinking about... And, and there is, it is a thing of beauty when you see somebody sitting... And they just have, uh, there's a real sense of physical release in the posture. But that, often that uh, beauty in the, in the sitting posture comes more from the mind being relaxed. As you probably have already discovered, there's a real connection between how the mind is doing and how the body's doing. And when the mind's really active and, and uh, contracted and wanting something or struggling with something, well, then the body tends to mirror that activity of the mind, and it gets tight too. So different traditions are different. In this tradition, the general approach is don't worry too much about your physical posture. Be more interested in how your mind is. And the more your mind comes into a balanced uh, place with a lot of integrity a lot of sort of real interest in the way it is, and a lot of stability, and a lot of fearlessness, a lot of ease. But then the body begins to reflect those same qualities of the mind. Other systems of practice, other styles of practice, might emphasize the posture first, like get your posture looking really good, and that will support the mind coming into beautiful balance. 
So, different approaches. But if you use your posture, the idea of your, the right posture to judge yourself or hate yourself or compare yourself to other people, you're missing your opportunity. Any questions about posture that come to mind? And some of the questions are specific, so feel free to come up after class too. Jack, would you turn the top two lights up about halfway? Thanks. So I'll say a few more things, and then we'll stretch, and then do about a 25-minute set. So I mentioned last week, you know, the real initial training, the most significant part of the training that we call mindful awareness, is keeping the present moment in mind. So the real problem that we have as human beings is we are distracted. And basically, like a pinball machine, you know, we just get pushed around. Something attractive arises, like a thought or memory, or some visual experience or auditory experience. And we're we're helpless. We're just the force of habit to grasp that pleasant experience just takes us away, basically. And we're caught in fantasy or clinging or fixating on that pleasant thing. And then the next moment, you know, we see dog poop on the sidewalk and we're repulsed and we're spinning about all the terrible people who have dogs and don't pick up after the dogs and the whole pet industry and, you know, could be, you know, until the next beautiful or repulsive thing comes into one of our places of ways of being sensitive seeing hearing smelling tasting touching or thinking right this is how we get sense input or sense experience through these six ways through some kind of mental activity we just generally call thinking or seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or touching so all day long, pretty much, we're pushed around by our habit energies. I mentioned this last week. Habit energies are neither, are not just bad. Some habit energies are good. But it's how the mind is conditioned to respond to sense experience. So either we're a creature of habit, and a lot of our habits are not so skillful. Basically, they involve getting tight one way or another, mentally, physically tight. Not all habits. Some habits remind us that it's okay. It's okay to relax. It's okay to be awake, to be interested, to show up, to be sensitive. But habits are just habits, meaning the tendency, the big habit, is to take habits personally, right? So, There are a lot of habits, including the habit of taking habits personally. But what we get from the instructions from the Buddha is that habits are just habits. Whether we call these causes and conditions or habit energies or the way the mind is conditioned, the way the heart is conditioned. But did you do that conditioning? Did you like go through the cosmic smorgasbord and choose these habits and those habits and I'll take two helpings of that habit? No, 
these habits got accumulated, accumulated through all the different twists and turns of innumerable causes and conditions. And so now it's like this. This mind and heart is like this. And the way this heart or mind is conditioned is different than yours or yours or yours. But we can appreciate as we look around the room that everybody here has a mind or whatever you want to call it. And everybody's mind here is conditioned. It's, they've got, there are these very alive forces that come to the surface when particular circumstances are there. And then all of a sudden the defensive pattern or the kind pattern or the angry pattern or the judging pattern or the patient pattern arises. Now our job isn't to like like the pleasant or wholesome patterns or hate the unwholesome, but to begin to see all the patterns as just patterns, as just habit energies. But this is relatively subtle work, right? So one of the reasons we, in our training of keeping the present moment in mind, if our mindfulness were steady enough, subtle enough, we could just observe the conditioned mind as the activity of impersonal nature. That would be great. But let's face it, that's not so easy to do given the quality of our attention. You know, our attention is pretty superficial right now. So we need something a little bit more concrete to, de- to develop the momentum, the clarity, the power of mindfulness. So we take the breath, for example, in the body. It's relatively concrete, relatively easy to pay attention to. Or we take the sensations or the body scan or hearing. So use one of these four. You know, Normally I talk about feeling, being aware of the whole body not as a concept, but as in terms of body sensations coming and going. Or specifically be aware of the breath moving in the body. Or use hearing, or as I mentioned earlier, you can do the body scan. So you've got a particular, let's call it a training ground. Or you could call it an anchor. So this is the place the attention comes back to. And if all you do in your 30-minute sit or your 45-minute sit or your 20-minute sit or whatever you do every day, hopefully every day, almost every day, if all you do is notice your mind has wandered and learning each time in a more skillful way, bringing the attention back, allowing the attention to come back to the training ground, to the anchor, okay, oh yeah, breathing in is like this, breathing out is like this, and then gets caught in some activity because of habit, not judging it, just notice as soon as you can, oh, this is what the mind is doing now. This is how the heart is entangled now. It's just like this. It's just this. So you, in a sense, you make peace with the distraction. You don't, you don't like uh, run from it. You just acknowledge, oh yeah, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is how the body is. This is what the mind is doing. And then... Come back to the training ground. Because if you stay with the distraction too long, not always, but often in the beginning, the mind just gets seduced by the thoughts of the to-do list or by the thoughts of your next vacation or by the thoughts and emotions you have about some interaction from yesterday. So it's more like soon as you can, soon as mindfulness re-arises, you acknowledge that the mind is distracted. 
you make peace with it, meaning you don't judge yourself. It's almost like this very profound mantra arises in your mind. Of course. Of course the mind wanders. That's what the mind does. It's just this being known. It's just this mind knowing this emotion or knowing this mental content, whatever that might be, or reacting to this pain in the body. It's just this experience now. Can that be okay? Can this be okay? So that's what I mean by making peace with the distraction. You're actually taking a few moments to be mindful, to let it in, to acknowledge the way it is, and then come back to your anchor, your training ground. So play around, but then stick with one. Decide which one you're just going to work with. Hearing, you're not interested in the particular sounds, but just that hearing is being known. Sounds are being known. Or sensations of sitting are being known. So the general experience, physicality of sitting. Or specifically the movement of the breath in the body. And generally people find it useful to feel it as a movement in the chest or abdomen. Just that simple movement of expansion of the abdomen, for example, with the in-breath, of course, and contraction. Or more traditional is feeling it at the tip of the nostrils. Assuming you're not, your nose is, isn't plugged up. Otherwise you'd feel it, right, the touching. But basically the air touching as it goes in and out of the nostrils or if you're congested going in and out of the mouth. And you're just simple experience of touching, 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 going in, touching, 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 going out. And so what are you doing? You're training the mind the attention, that particular part of the mind that knows, that's attending, you're training it to be continuous, clear, alert, and relaxed. Meaning, relaxed means you don't have to control what you're paying attention to. So you're attending to the breath, but you're teasing out the need to get tight or to control it or to want it or need it to be different than it is. So that when distractions arise and you're more likely to notice the distractions because you've created an even, steady, clear and relaxed attention to the anchor, to your training ground. So then when the mind gets caught in thought, that same evenness is more likely to notice, oh, this is just thinking being known, judging being known, reacting being known. Right? Steady, even, non-judging, back to the anchor, now another distraction, back to the anchor, with the anchor, maybe getting some continuity, noticing the increasing steadiness, the increasing beauty because of that steady, clear, relaxed presence. And then something happens, like maybe you get attached to the steadiness. You start to think about, hey, I really got it. It's working. And then eventually you notice, oh, that's just thinking. That's just liking or that's just pride. Oh, it's just pride. Okay. Just thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to react. I don't need to get tight. I just need to acknowledge the way it is. Now it's just thinking. But now those thoughts are already gone. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll just come back to the breath. Or come back to my anchor. So there's this really beautiful dance. It's messy, but it's still a dance where you know, we have the particular training ground but we're not holding too tight to it. We're using it to get some momentum. Momentum in with what again? Well, we call it mindful awareness. 
but we're really talking about a quality of attention that's interested. So that's the bright quality, the alert quality. There's energy. The mind is interested in being intimate, interested in connecting, interested in receiving, knowing the way it is. Whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like a mirror, right? That part, that bright part of the mind, it's like a perfect mirror that just wants to reflect whatever shows up. So it's not an effortful alertness. I've got to figure this out. That's, that's personalizing that quality of alertness. It's more uh, like a mirror that effortlessly knows whatever shows up in front of it, just reflects. But it's very bright. It doesn't miss anything. A mirror doesn't miss anything. Whatever shows up in front of that mirror, it reflects as best it can, given the conditions in that moment. And that's what this bright, alert, knowing mind does. But at the same time, mindful awareness implies this relaxation, right? There's no agenda. We're not trying to get something from the alertness. It's just knowing the way it is for that, for its own sake. It is like this now. So we're willing to start over. We're willing to accept. To some degree, the mind appreciates that it's too much to want to control things, right? So I'm just going to let things come and go. I'm going to relax and let the conditioned nature of things, you know, that things do come and go, I'm just going to let it come and go. Trust the movement. Everything's moving. The activity of mind is moving. The activity of sensation in the body is moving. Sounds are a movement, right? Sights are a movement. What isn't moving? Everything's moving. And I'm just going to trust that movement. So that's the relaxation part. So I mentioned this last week. So when you're confused, like you're sitting, now, what is this mindful awareness stuff? Just remember, just to keep it simple, two qualities. Okay, I'm cultivating a way of paying attention that on the one hand is very bright, alert, seeing things as they are, and on the other hand, relaxed, trusting, just Letting everything move, letting everything come and go, not feeling obliged to control or fix or judge, but just letting things move. And we're just working on that. And when they come into balance, both are strong, the alert and the relaxed, we call that a good sit or a samadhi, right? That means the mind is even, it's strong. It's a mind that can see things as they are. And we start to have Insight. And insight just means we're seeing things we haven't seen before. Seeing things about the nature of reality or the nature of the mind, the nature of experience that we haven't seen before. So we call it an insight. And then when we have insight, we become wise. And when we're wise, we're more skillful. We don't set in motion the causes for suffering for ourselves and others. So we all want to be wise. Nobody who is sane does not want to be wise. Because it's so, by definition, wise means we just know how to handle what shows up in our life, how to be skillful. So that's the basic background for the practice. And let's stand for a moment to stretch out our legs, and then we'll sit. Then we'll have some time for questions and discussion. And while we're standing and stretching, I'll just mention a little bit about walking meditation. So last week I mentioned there are about nine handouts 
And one of the handouts is a wonderful description from Gil Fronstall, a well-known teacher from the West Coast on walking meditation. So you might want to take a look at that sometime this week. If you don't remember, the handouts, you go to the website, commonground you look under programs, you find the intro class, and in the blurb for the intro class, there's a link to the handouts. And so walking meditation is a really good uh, practice. It's just as useful as sitting meditation practice. And we do a lot of walking during the day. So it's a really good time to practice during daily life when you're walking from your car to the store or your office or whenever you're walking, walking from your kitchen to your bedroom. There there are a lot of places we're walking where we're not having to do a lot of other business. You know, we're not texting, we're not talking. So we can just use it as a time to develop mindfulness. And often you can use breathing as your anchor, as your training ground when you're walking, and you can use physicality. Just instead of the experience of sitting as your anchor, it might be just the experience of lifting and placing the foot. And so if you have a 15-foot hallway or if it's a nice day and you have a relatively private space outside where you can walk back and forth, all you need is at least you know 10 steps. If it's too short, it will feel a little bit tight. But, you know, 40 feet is nice if you have that outside or maybe you have a particularly long um, hallway or stretch in, in your house or apartment. And you just stand at one end, you collect yourself just like you might at the beginning of a city meditation, Feel your body, maybe the knees are a little bent. And then you may clarify the intention. Okay, I'm going to practice being mindful. And the nice thing about using a particular walking lane instead of walking around like Harriet is that if you get distracted, by the time you get to the end of the walking lane, you're going to remember because there you are. Oh yeah, this is a walking meditation. So the, the lane, having that set amount of space is really helpful because you get at the end, you go, oh yeah, standing, turning around, and you notice that, and then you're standing, and then you begin begin again. And just like with the sitting practice, when you're working with the breath, you can use a mental phrase. You can do the same thing with walking. So you can use a phrase in your mind like lifting, placing. Because if you ask your thinking mind to do something like label what's going on, it can undermine the tendency to think and think and worry, worry, plan, remember, compare, judge, all those other mental activities that are going to carry you away. So like when you're sitting and you're, let's say you're working with your breath, you can coordinate a particular label with the in and out breath, even something as simple as in, as you're breathing in, and out, or breathing in as being known. Breathing out is being known. Now, obviously, you wouldn't be saying this out loud. Same with walking. Lifting, placing, or left, right, or stepping, 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 stepping. Now, these are they're just techniques that we can use if they support the continuity of awareness. If you're using the mental noting or the mental labeling in a way that's making your mind crazy and not supporting the practice, well, then put it down, right? The Buddha, as a teacher in the tradition generally, is very pragmatic. It's really good to understand the underlying principles 
and then have a spectrum of skillful means that you can use to support the basic training. And the basic training is this continuity of mindful awareness. We'd like it all day long. So the formal sitting time is a way to get some momentum that makes it more and more likely that we'll be mindful all day long. And when we catch ourselves being not mindful, should we be angry? No, because if we know we haven't been mindful, that's the next moment of mindfulness. We should be appreciative. Knowing that we haven't been mindful means we're being mindful now. Right? So don't judge yourself in that moment. Appreciate, okay, I'm home. Home is back aware that the present moment is like this. We're back in the game. The Buddha compares not being mindful as if we're already dead. And being mindful is the path to the deathless. That's a, one of the ways he talked about this freedom. You know, Nibbana or Nirvana, the unconditioned, the deathless, the refuge, liberation, <laughs> happiness, right? So he calls it sometimes the deathless. And he said, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Being vigilant, being awake, committed to wakefulness is the path to the deathless. Those who are negligent, you know, who aren't interested in being awake, mindful, are as if already dead. In a sense, it's true because we're just acting out habit energies. And they may be relatively good habit energies or relatively unwholesome habit energies, but we're not learning anything. Without mindfulness, there's no real learning. Nothing changes. So let's sit down and we'll do a guided sit. I'll give a few more instructions, but mostly I'll be quiet. And then we'll have time for questions and discussion at the end. And we'll be sitting for about 25 minutes. So do your best to find a comfortable posture. See what works in your body tonight. A lot of people find it helpful to take a couple of longer, deeper breaths at the beginning of a set just to help settle into the posture. Taking the time to fill the lungs, taking the time to empty the lungs. So we'll take a few moments and visit each of the three anchors. Let's begin by opening to the experience of hearing as a particular anchor or a particular training ground. Allow the mind, the heart to be receptive to this great ocean of sounds that are coming and going. Not afraid to be sensitive, even vulnerable to the sounds that come and go. No need to figure anything out. Keeping this particular theme, hearing sounds, in mind. 
remembering it's like this. The knowing mind alert and relaxed. And we can bring that same quality of clarity, receptivity to the sensations of the body now, the second training ground that you can use. So simply opening, being sensitive to the sensations of sitting, whatever is predominant or the whole body together. kind and alert presence with the body. And we're not expecting the sensations of the body to be perfect, perfectly pleasant. They're just what they are. And can that be okay? In other words, is the heart willing to relax with the sensations now? the sensations of sitting, trusting them, allowing them to be. And the third training ground is being aware of the movement of the breath in the body. So keeping the whole mind-body relaxed, just notice the movement of the breath in the body as it actually is. And again, it might be the touching of the air in and out of the nostrils or it might be some movement associated with the breathing process. But breathing is the activity of nature, so we trust the body to do the breathing. Aware of the breath coming in, aware of each breath going out. And just choose one of these three training grounds, three anchors. Practice cultivating this continuity of mindful awareness, the attention both alert and relaxed. Be willing to start over. Remember to acknowledge any distractions that come. Don't make distractions bad. It's just something being known. And we'll continue in silence now.
you might notice that at times the body becomes uncomfortable. So generally we do our best to hold the body still and to be relaxed in the sitting posture, but as discomfort builds, you might find that the mind begins to resist the unpleasant sensations. So at some point it might be necessary to quietly adjust the posture to release any discomfort. With practice, you'll be able to sit for longer periods of time, not so much because you're more comfortable, but you learn how to be with the discomfort without adding to it by hating it or not liking it, but just letting the sensations be what they are. So work as best you can with any discomfort, but when you can't skillfully work with the unpleasant sensations, then it's okay to make an adjustment. We'll be sitting for about five more minutes.
relaxed and alert. Be interested in whatever it is that gets in the way of the continuity of mindful awareness. And for the last few seconds, noticing both the qualities of relaxation, the heart or mind that's trusting, allowing things to be. Notice the quality of alertness, the mind interested, not figuring things out, but receiving clearly aware can this be okay the way it is now in the mind and body share a little bit about what you've been learning both this past week and then in the sits tonight. Each week will take some time, so we have about 50 minutes tonight to hear from people what you've been learning, what's been challenging, questions you have about the instructions. Please don't be shy. So what's coming to mind? What are you noticing? What's been feeling right or challenging? Go ahead. Yeah, so she asked, what do you do with emotions that seem to overwhelm your mind? So we're doing two things. We're working or engaging this particular training, this continuity of awareness with the breath, for example, in order to cultivate a more even and steady and powerful presence. 
so that when something strong arises, like a painful memory or just some emotion that's left over from some interaction earlier in the day, then with that momentum of mindfulness, the mindfulness is less likely, or the mind rather is less likely to be consumed or drawn in. Now, the emotion itself isn't a problem. The problem is when the mind gets identified, sounds like with the unpleasantness of this emotion, some emotions are pleasant, of course, but the mind gets drawn in, identified with the unpleasantness, it, it projects or cultivates, constructs a story, which it then proliferates, one thought leading to the next, all around the pain of that emotion. And literally, the mind gets swept away, lost in that activity. But when mindfulness, the steadiness, the evenness of mind is strong, then it realizes, oh, there is this emotion being felt in the mind and body. It's like this. Well, and in an authentic way, we're asking the question, can this be okay? We don't know. But like we're asking, can the mind remain steady, even, clearly aware and relaxed with this emotion, the unpleasantness of this emotion, as it actually is? And it's almost like letting, because it's not a distant, I'm over here looking at the emotion over there. More, it's as if the mindfulness were right in the middle of it. And we're learning how to be empty or porous so that the feeling, let's say, we're embarrassed, something humiliating happened to us, and while we're sitting, the memory of it comes back. And so we're we're letting the emotion move. That's what emotions want to do. They want to move. And if they meet, if the movement of emotion meets no resistance, what happens to that emotion? This would be good for you to directly know from your experience. And you might start with relatively easy emotions, not the difficult emotions. A little moment of happiness, a little moment of peacefulness, a little moment of gratitude, a little moment of irritation or impatience. What happens when that emotion arises in the body and mind, but the mind isn't judging it, it isn't resisting it, getting tight around it, it just recognizes it clearly with wisdom. It's just an emotion being felt, being known. Well, it does its stance, it moves, and then it's over. So that's what emotions need. They need a big, empty space of awareness, a non-interfering awareness, so it can do its movement and be done. But generally, because of habits, we react to the movement of emotion, the unpleasantness of it, or the pleasantness of it, and it <clears throat> basically we're feeding the storm. And we get swept away by pleasant emotion, and we get swept away, the mind gets swept away by unpleasant emotion. So it's a real practice. And the key is just to keep turning toward it, keep working with it. And then if you find you, there's just not enough steadiness to be with the emotion, then direct your attention away from it. Because we don't want to keep gravitating toward some experience that's present when we don't have enough wisdom, enough steadiness of mind to be with it. So then we go someplace neutral. We pay attention to the breath. We pay attention to hearing. We might open the eyes. Just the sense of, okay, sitting in this room, seeing, sensing the body sitting, hearing. It's like this. And that that sort of bigger 
container, taking in more of the sense experience of the present moment, can prevent the mind from going to that painful place and reacting and getting swept away. So we don't want to give up on the practice just because something challenging has arisen. Because everybody knows there's a lot of unfinished business somehow contained in this mind and body. And the more we get settled, the more that stuff tends to percolate up. Anything that's unfinished tends to percolate up in the calm, in the relative peace of not being consumed by emails or this or that. Part of the reason we stay so busy is we don't want things to percolate up. We don't want to feel what we're feeling. So we stay busy, engaged in this and that. So don't be surprised when you sit down and meditate every day that there's a lot of stuff showing up. Don't think just because a lot's going on when you sit that you're not practicing well or that it's unpleasant that you're not practicing well. The way you know you're practicing well is are you learning how to be with whatever shows up more skillfully than you were yesterday or 10 years ago? You know, Are you getting better at being steady and interested, and non-reactive, no matter what shows up, pleasant, unpleasant, wholesome or unwholesome, or neutral. Thanks for the comment, question. What else have you been noticing? Yeah. Yeah, well, initially, it's okay to get good at being tranquil, because you can't really get to know the mind if, the mind is restless or all over the place. There's really no deeper insight without a steady, tranquil, non-reactive presence. So in a very real sense, it's the first step is to make the mind, the heart, more tranquil, more peaceful, more steady. Um, but But the important point, and this is what I think your comment's pointing to, Tranquility, as healing as it is, as good as it is, it isn't an end in itself. It's really, and the Buddha made this, a, you know, a central part of his teaching. Tranquility supports insight. We we cultivate tranquility not as an end in itself, but to support seeing things more clearly. Because when we, when my mind isn't tranquil, that means I have an agenda. I'm trying to get something or get rid of something. And when I'm trying to get something or get rid of something, how am I going to see clearly what actually leads to happiness, what actually leads to suffering? So when I'm tranquil, when I have some inner contentedness and peacefulness, then the way my mind gets greedy and the ways my mind gets aversive, they really stand out as being unskillful, like leading to stress leading to suffering. But we don't see that clearly when our mind is already all over the place and reactive. We only see that from the point of view of tranquility. We really begin to understand what the seeds of unhappiness, the seeds of stress are. In the same way that we see dirt a lot better if we have a perfectly clean white shirt, you know, then it's pretty easy to see when there are stains. But if we have a really dirty thing, you can't really tell if it's getting dirtier. So if we really want to see the causes, like how it is that the mind gets all bound up, all entangled, all heavy, 
First thing we want to do is make the mind a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more pure, pure in the sense of less greed and less aversion in the mind. Because then we're going to learn something about when greed and aversion come into the mind or reactivity comes into the mind because it's going to stand out. Yeah. Other thoughts that come to mind? We have about five more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody hear his question back there? So it's a good question. And I think the best way to address it is, yes, the way you describe those insights, I think it's okay to call those insights. I'd call those psychological insights. And they're very, they can be very valuable or therapeutic insights where through reflection, maybe even talking with somebody or some people journal or you see a therapist, or just through your own reflecting, you know, you see the different patterns, the different self, uh, you know, the ways you talk about your experience or the stories that you repeat to yourselves. And you begin to see, like, well, that that's not really right. And you tell yourself a new story. And then you kind of go, oh, that's so much, that story is just so much more healthy, you know, than the old story that I was telling myself. So that's a that's a kind of insight, psychological insight. But there's another kind of insight that's not conceptual. So that level of insight it's it's basically on the level of concept or idea, we're purifying the stories we tell ourselves about what's going on. And some stories are a lot more healthy than other stories. So there's a lot of well-being that can come from that kind of work. And then if you get really good at that work, you'll see the limitations of it because it's still a story. You know, it's a better story, but needing the mind being dependent on a story is still, even if it's subtle, stress, stressful. And then we start to reflect on experience and stories as just being stories. Thoughts are just thoughts. Emotions are just emotions. Sensations are just sensations. And we begin to pay attention to experience. Experiences or the activities of the mind and body in a more simple, bare way. Thoughts are just thoughts. Sensations are just sensations. Sounds are just sounds. And we begin to notice things in a more elemental way like everything is changing. Thoughts come and go. Sensations come and go. Sights come and go. Sounds come and go. And all of a sudden, something dawns in the mind. Everything is ephemeral. Everything is changing. There's no actual ground. Now, we can get that intellectually as a concept, but to get that experientially is always surprising. Even if we really get it intellectually, when we see it directly experientially, it's shocking for the mind. It's an insight. It revolutionizes how what the mind takes this reality to be, this experiencing to be. Same way in seeing the impersonal nature of our thoughts or the impersonal nature of emotion, 
of sound, of sight, of sensation, we can kind of get philosophically that things are impersonal. You know, it's just things playing out. I didn't choose that thought. It just kind of came up because of, you know, the way this mind is conditioned. But in the moment, seeing a thought arise as a movement of nature, not something I'm doing or something that is me, is shocking and revolutionizes the mind's understanding. So this is what we mean by the deeper spiritual insight. So I guess the way to think of it is maybe a spectrum of insight. All of insight is good, you know, understanding more clearly the causes of suffering, however superficial or deep, it's good. But we want to move in the direction of non-conceptual presence. And that doesn't mean thoughts will stop completely. There still may be thoughts that more and more wisdom, the wisdom in the mind won't be confused by the thoughts. The wisdom in the mind, the presence, the mindful presence will understand thoughts are being known. As opposed to, I'm thinking that. Right? So there's a difference. And it's really just a matter of how much wisdom, and wisdom is just the fruit of practicing. The more we practice, the more there is that wise present that understands sound is sound, sight is sight, thought is thought, emotion is motion. These are just things that come and go lawfully according to causes and conditions. And it's totally okay and safe for this mindful presence to be right in the middle, letting things come and go, and understanding this is how it is. This is both the way toward freedom and expression of freedom. An expression of freedom is to be right in the middle and allowing everything to move. No friction, no resistance. That's a good place to end. Just being interested in little ordinary experiences of freedom. What does it mean to have a mind, a sensitive mind, or you could say a sensitive heart that is free? So sensitive with whatever's coming and going in your life, the pleasant, the unpleasant, the ambiguous, sensitive, but no friction, no resistance. So now we're all going home. So can it, is it possible to go home and to be at home without friction, without the heart, out of habit, resisting or neurotically struggling with the conditions that are coming and going, the sounds, the sights, the thoughts, the emotions, the whatever. Because there's no way, as a living being, we can stop things from coming and going. There will be thoughts and emotions and sights and sounds and touches coming and going. But we can learn, the heart, the mind can learn how to be right in the middle, intimate, engaged, but no friction, no resistance. And that's what the Buddha means by freedom. And people think, well, that means being passive. But no, passive is a activity that we choose. I can't be involved. Life's too messy. So we're right in the middle. And that allows the personality to do whatever it's going to do. We're just aware of the thoughts and the words we speak and the actions we act out. And if we're doing something really stupid, we're aware, okay, this is what's happening and this is the consequence of it. If we're doing something really skillful, we're aware. This is the action and this is the consequence of it. So that's like perfect setup for learning, for insight. So the whole system that we call me gets wiser, moment by moment by moment. Through this simple, clear, relaxed, 
fearless presence. That's where we're going. So remember, you might have some resistance next Tuesday, but come anyway. Give yourself six weeks, dig in, see if it will be a good practice. So if you have a few minutes, all these chairs over here need to go downstairs to the right and to the right. See you next week, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.